1: Welcome to The Rocketship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka.
2: I'm Joelle Steiniger.
3: And I'm Matt Goldman.
2: And we're having 20-minute talks with entrepreneurs teaching you how to launch your product into revenue.
3: Check out our book at howtobuildarocketship.com to reserve your launch discount and to download a free chapter.
2: Today we talked with Mikkel Cho, founder of Oomph. He talks a lot about his unique approach to content marketing, in particular what we've been calling tool-based marketing. He's built a handful of free tools like Unsplash and How Much to Make an that help support an audience of people that may one day end up signing up for Oomph.
1: So, welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. We're here today with Michael Cho of Oomph. Michael, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, Oomph is a fantastic platform that I've used um, both as a vendor and a service provider. Um, If you haven't, go check it out. That's three O's, oomph.com. Um So Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about getting started with oomph. Where did the idea come from? Um, and what did those early days look like for you?
4: Yeah, so uh, the, the idea for oomph actually came. I used to be an independent designer. And I also used to work at a design agency. So sort of all of the problems that I saw in this space during my time doing those two things. And it was just sort of, you know, there's lots of issues, first finding good projects, uh, there's issues with budgeting, there's issues with payment and making sure everything is on time and deliverables, and it just sort of goes on and on. Um, and I was really new to the space. So when I sort of came in, I'm like, is this how it's been operating? You know, is this how it's supposed to be? So immediately after... Uh, sort of had these ideas of how this could be improved, um, and I wanted to do something about it, but I wasn't I, my skill as a designer or developer weren't quite there yet. Uh, so I ended up leaving the agency I was at. I teamed up with a friend of mine who was a developer. Uh, we started doing some contract work on the side, and then we heard about this accelerator program called Founderfield. We had no idea what an accelerator was, and we applied with this name oomph it wasn't even a thing like it's like we've got this name and it could be something but we're not sure we'll just apply and say it's something right now Uh, we ended up getting an interview and then we ended up going to the program this was two years ago so there was a lot of shifts and changes during that program the main reason we did it was we wanted to focus solely on a product And we were, you know, doing contract work and doing product is very, very difficult. So we wanted to just have that opportunity to focus just on that. And after three to six months, we ended up raising funding. Uh, We did a 500K small round, still wasn't fully formed into the idea it is today. Uh, But then last February, so this is about 10 months ago, we are sorry, 11 months ago. We we landed on the idea that it is now. So Oomph is a pre-vetted network of talent designers and developers, and we connect them with high-quality projects. We do vetting on both sides, and
3: we solve a lot of those other issues along the way in the process. So when you got the funding, what was the idea at that point in time? Uh, so we were
4: in app discovery space, and we were sort of thinking how could we help developers uh, better market their products because in the App Store, you know, there's over a million apps that are being submitted this year and about 3,000 are submitted a day. So how do you sort of stick out of that when you're releasing something? But what we saw was that the majority of apps that were being put into oomph, uh, they were sometimes low quality. And you can't really wrap good marketing around that. You know, It's not going to do anything to the app if it's not good in the first place. So that was sort of a major shift in our, in our thinking, and that's when we went back to you know, really solving the core problem of helping people build better technology.
0: When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country, or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep with Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. So how did you guys
1: approach the idea? Um, you know, You're a marketplace. So how did you approach attracting both people with projects and people that could build the projects?
4: Yeah, so um, we wrote a post about how we started with MailChimp and Wufoo, And it was really, really basic at the beginning. I mean, we had about six months left of runway from our funding that we had raised, which is not a lot of time, especially for building a marketplace. Yeah. So we started on one side. We gave ourselves a week, and we said that we were going to uh, get at least 50 developers and designers that were pre-vetted signed up to a newsletter where we would send projects out on that Saturday. So we got the 50 about three days in. uh, We contacted our immediate network. Uh, We were on Dribbble. We were on Zerply, on Twitter, you know, searching through Twitter bios, (laughs) reviewing portfolios, had it all managed and hacked together in a Google Doc, signed everybody up through MailChimp. uh, And then we were accepting projects through the Wufu form. And projects were a big challenge because you sort of need people who need something right now. Uh, So we actually were working with some of our initial members from Oomph when it was in the app discovery space. That was sort of the initial projects that we had there. Uh, But in order to keep sustaining that, that's really where we came up with these ideas for content. So the writing, uh, how much to make an app, all was sort of born because we had no money and about six months left or we were dead.
1: That's um, Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that content. Um, are, when you're writing your content, are you targeting one or the other? Or do you find that your articles are broad enough to appeal to both bases there?
4: Yeah, so we focus right now on articles that will cater to both sides. So whether you're a developer or designer or someone who might post a project, we approach our content as a very broad sort of um, perspective. And we look at just trying to teach Um, Something that was usually interesting to me or somebody who was writing the post. uh, Something that I came across like coffee versus beer. Mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out um, if I should have a coffee or a beer right now to write a better blog post. And we we actually had ran out of water in Montreal that day. So they (laughs) shut the water off. And I'm like, should I have a beer right now? I don't even know what I'm going to write. And I'm like, all right, I'll just write about that. That was actually our second post ever on Medium. And it was crazy, like that. That when that went off, it's something sort of clicked that if you write high quality things, there's an opportunity now with sites like Medium and Subtle and what Core is doing to really uh, help you with the distribution.
2: Yeah, we've um, experimented a lot with Medium, and it's been an awesome tool for us. Um, and blogging in general has been great. But what you guys do with your other tool marketing? Um, how much to make an app, um, unsplash these other projects that you do. Um, we get ideas, excuse me. We get ideas all the time for little side projects, but we have a hard time deciding what is going to be worth the time to do and put out, um, versus going ahead and just writing a blog post. How have you kind of made that decision in the past of, of putting these things out and how much time are you spending on them?
4: Yeah, so that's a that's a good question. Uh, the way that we a lot of our blog posts have formed have been could be emails to customers or friends. So um, the post we wrote about how to get press, for example, started as an email from a customer. So that was sort of the MVP or the first version of it. And what we're experimenting with now in the next few months is if a blog post is doing well, there might be something more that we could do with it. So maybe there could be a small little side project that that could turn into. Um, And I think everybody's, you like, there's those ideas that you have all the time. And we're sort of trying to harness those ideas, do something very simple, but that would take content to the next level. So uh, how much to make an app could easily have been a blog post. But there are a few blog posts out there that exist already that are pretty good. So we thought, how could we do something that was the next level for that? And that's why we decided to do that one as web app, for example.
2: So do you guys have like a graveyard of side projects that you've kind of started um, to use as these marketing tools that um, you've decided either they were spiraling out of control or they weren't going to end up accomplishing what you wanted?
4: Um, So we have a whole list of other ones that we're going to do. Um, we've been lucky so far in the sense that the three sort of ones that we've done something with in terms of a web app, which were launched this year, how much to make an app and unsplash um, all did well in our eyes. So, you know, we've been lucky in in that sense, but a lot of it is we're trying to solve a problem that we're experiencing ourselves or we're seeing with our customers. So we sort of know that there's somebody out there that is going to be interested in this. And if we, can you know keep it simple so we don't spend too much time? Because I think if we spent way too much time and built you know this thing that's almost
3: a, an app in itself, uh, then I think the success rate would actually diminish. What does the distribution look like for any of these tools that you put out? In terms of in terms of uh, when you finish it or when you fun- when you finish it and you publish it, what steps do you take yeah. to make sure that it has a good shot at getting yeah. picked up?
4: Yeah, so we are constantly experimenting with that. Um, we have probably six or seven different segmented lists in MailChimp. Um, when Medium first started, for example, we were experimenting with the featured uh, section and how to sort of get there and what was the minimum threshold in order to get there. And what we would do is actually segment out part of our list to send just the Medium posts to them and then see if you know that would be enough to keep get it there. Uh, because that was really helping to grow our audience. So we, we are experimenting a lot with our email lists and just sort of sending that out properly. But it's typically a combination of a Medium post and a blog post.
3: And the blog post is on the Oomph blog?
4: Yeah, correct. And are those
1: different?
3: Uh, they're usually usually almost
4: the same. Okay. So in, in terms <laughs> no of the, the content, um, when yeah. you're
1: looking at guest posting, you've, I saw you just had an article today on The Next Web. You've been in right. Lifehacker. You've been in the Buffer blog, and a lot of them are reposts of your content. Yep. Um, can you share any insight on how these opportunities are coming about?
4: Yeah, so the first one uh, was Buffer, actually. So this was before we wrote Coffee versus Beer. This was before we even had one blog post on our own blog. And I sort of got this advice from uh, Paul Jarvis. He's a web designer, awesome writer. He writes on Medium as well. He's got a couple books. Uh, he always said, write where your audience is. You know, Don't worry about being on your, them being on your blog. If you can just go to them uh, and they like what you're doing and you're there enough, then they will sort of naturally gravitate to your stuff. So that was sort of the initial approach. Uh, I read actually how Buffer grew with guest posting, um, and Leo, who's the guy over at Buffer who wrote that post, he was the head of their content. So I basically just said exactly what he said to do and pitched him on his own methods. And he said, yeah, write the post. Um, and I hadn't actually written the post yet, so I was like, okay. Um, that was very exciting for me, but very scary, because I hadn't written sort of the in-depth science-backed post, which you see on Buffer a lot, and that's sort of the style that we write now. Yeah. Um, that was the first one that I had done. And that ended up, Ted actually picked that up, and they turned it into a YouTube video as well. Yeah, so, I saw that. That was huge. Yeah, and and that article was you know very difficult for me. I mean, it probably took me 25 to 30 hours in terms of the research and writing um, because I had never written that style before. But you get faster and faster and faster the more you do it, and what you realize is because you're spending time, you know, crafting something that you would feel good putting out, even if nobody really sees it. Uh, you feel good, you know, doing something that you spent spent a lot of time on something that you're proud of. Um, so that's ultimately the thing. You know, I'm not going to publish something that I wouldn't be proud of
3: as a writer. What do you think set that set your request to Leo apart from other people? Because surely anyone that read about his strategy for getting these guest posts is probably reaching Mm -hmm. out to him and others, copying their, their email template. What do you think it was? Was it your website that he clicked through to? What, what made you different? Um, I
4: think it was, I specifically targeted probably one of their best all time posts. Um, This was before I don't think they had, you know, an all time list on their blog. But I had been following them for a long time. So I sort of knew, you know, I saw this this one post that they wrote about, um, I think it was their investor deck and how they raised like 1.5 million. Um, and it was on, on startups.com. It did really well. It was picked up by a lot of people. Um, so I was like, hey, I'm going to write a follow up to this because if that one did well, it's likely that people would want to sort of see something like this. And if Buffer knows that that posted well, um, it probably increases the chances that this one could do well as well. And be more interesting for
3: them. Oh, cool. So have you followed their technique for getting blog, uh, guest posts on oomph as well? So
4: what happened after that is uh, coffee Bowl, Coffee versus beer was one of the next ones. And that did really well. That was picked up by Lifehacker, The Next Web. Uh, was featured on Medium, Hacker News, Reddit. So what sort of ended up happening is a reputation a little bit. So we started just getting contacted from the publications rather than us going out and having to contact them, and that was lucky in a sense. But it's it's based off of the quality content we write, I think. You know, and, and one thing that we set uh, when we were writing content regularly, and it's become a little bit harder now. You know, the schedule that we wanted to keep was I'm doing sort of one post a week, and that's going to be high quality rather than trying to do three or four um, that. You know, it might be lower grade Wanted to keep the standard very, very high. And the only thing I could sustain was sort of one post a week. But in the end, um, that was a very good thing because every post that is on our blog is something that is a full thought out concept or idea. And how much are you writing each night? I write every day. I'm probably writing between, uh, I would say, 10 to 12 hours a week. Okay yeah
1: um, i'd like to touch you touched on a little bit before, um, but your philosophy on marketing, which I thought was was very interesting, which is solving a problem rather mm. than just blasting emails and I'm yeah. wondering how you guys approach this because when we have a list, I, I want to send to that list uh, right. i don 't always know what to send to them, and the easiest thing is, hey here's a discount code or you know something involving your product, but how do you approach those emails to make them more effective?
3: Yeah,
4: writing has really sort of changed my you know thought process and approach towards any sort of email or communication um, there's always an element of a story involved and i've just seen that that is uh, super fun to sort of put together because you have to think it out you know you have to think what is the story behind this and if i can't come up with the story then maybe this thing isn't worse than to anybody so that's sort of the philosophy that we've used. Um, and I, I really enjoy it. I mean, our open rates are very high, I think. And um, we really focus on sending people what they've sort of signed up for. So yeah, we have a lot of different projects, but um, there's a very personal approach to each project. And I think that personal approach is the right way to be in communication with people. You know, They should feel like they're talking with Michael or Matt or Joel or Mikel. You know, not necessarily this higher entity. And are you ever
1: sending kind of promo emails or all of your emails are um, a story or, or very segmented to the user that requested them?
4: yeah, it's it's very we try to keep it very short and sort of um, here's the problem we saw, and here's the thing you know it could be a thing that we're releasing, but it's here's the thing that we're releasing to solve that problem. Uh, Because I think if if you're not resonating with the problem, you're never going to care about the solution. So
1: why is the freelance design development problem one that you're interested um, or that you're passionate about solving?
4: Uh, Yeah, so before Oomph, probably every freelance or software project I was involved with went wrong at some point. (laughs) And uh, just every different variable, you know, it's like if anything could go wrong, it would. So I just saw um, there's a lot of really talented people, Uh, some of them aren't able to work independently because the deal flow is difficult, it's hard to find good clients, and just wanted to uh, enable people who know how to do good work to connect with the people who value that. And I think as, um, as everything evolves, every business is sort of becoming an online business, and they need that development or design expertise. You need sort of that go-to guy. Uh, but it's very challenging, especially if you're not in the space at all. You, know, you, you don't know the difference between back end or front end. It can be very, very daunting and scary. So we want to sort of remove all of those barriers in this space. Yeah, that's, that's awesome.
1: I think a lot of people can appreciate that. So thank you, uh, Mikel, for coming on. Um, really appreciate your time, kind of sharing your insight with us on of course. Um For everyone out there, go to oomph.com, That's O-O-O-M-F dot com. Um, sign up for a project. Become a vendor. Uh, it's a great, great service. Um, so um, thank you, and we'll uh, we'll see you on the web.
4: Thanks, Michael. Thank you, guys.
2: Thanks yeah, thanks a lot Michael
4: With no big red sign to stop me No traffic jam
1: See I was driving
2: over I get there soon It's so many things to do So many
4: people I need to talk to
1: And they've all